Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do something fun with the family. Come downtown and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd at the CHI Health Center. Get inside the newest cars, trucks, and SUVs and see some of the hottest electric cars like the Hyundai Ionic 5. Race a NASCAR remote control car. See beautiful classic cars and visit the Subaru Pet Adoption. Free admission for veterans on Friday. Get out and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd. Find more at omahaautoshow.com. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. Target's new Red Card Reloadable saves you 5% every Target trip, in-store and online, and doesn't require a bank account or credit check to get approved. Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. Restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I'm going to be your host today, taking the helm. I'm, of course, Will the Thrill. Joining me is TJ2, the Deuce. Howdy. And we have a special guest. Before I turn things over to you, TJ, I just want to say that this is unique for us, and we're very glad to have this gentleman here with us. There's a lot of good stuff we're going to talk about today. This is a very unique episode for Rock and Roll Heaven. I'm going to pitch it over to TJ, and you can do the intro. Yeah, so this is uh, a very special episode of Rock and Roll Heaven. So it's kind of like the episode of the Cosby Show where Theo got an earring or something. That that boy, they'd slap a very special episode on anything in the '80s. <laughs> Real controversial topics like Theo getting an earring. We've had very few guests on uh, this podcast, and Cosby Show reference may be an, an idea of why nobody wants to do it. <laughs> I don't know. No, typically we, we, you know, we have a script and we focus on, on one artist. We've had a couple of guests and we've got one with us today. This is an opportunity that when it was uh, presented, we lined it up and said yes as quickly as possible. With us is acclaimed photographer, Elliot Landy. Now, even if you don't recognize his name immediately, you will definitely know his work if you see it. He has taken iconic pictures of Bob Dylan, the band, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, John Lee Hooker. And he has a brand new book out called Photographs of Janis Joplin on the Road and Stage. He's launching it with a Kickstarter campaign, which we'll have him tell us about in just a minute. We are very proud to welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, Elliot Landy. Awesome. Hi, Hi. I'm waving, but you probably won't be able to see me. 
Yes, we, we've, we found that uh, people being able to see us generally drives people away. So we just kind of <laughs> stay anonymous and let them hear our voices. Well, but you know, when you see me, you have to see my pictures, you see. So it's the opposite. <laughs> Without my pictures, what am I? You know, I'm just another guy. <laughs> well, we're, we're looking forward to talking about your new book, which uh, having looked at some press for it, it, it's some never before seen photographs of Janis Joplin. And then sort of, in her own words, text from interviews that she did with David Dalton. Yes, yeah. And, and there's like almost 100 pictures that have never been published before. So it's, it's quite, I, I, I had no idea I had so many beautiful unpublished photographs. Very often when you, when, when they're, in my opinion about this, when you get a, a, an album of outtakes or unpublished photographs, from from a photographer or never before seen pictures like so what they deserve not to have been seen before sometimes you know or they're they're i'm sorry it's not as bad as that but it's of interest in other words they're pictures of interest but not pictures that stun you and for me the reason why um you know what you say you know you know you were kind to describe it as if you don't know him you know his pictures because I was always able to control which pictures went out. I was always part of the of the editing process for Bob Dylan, for Van Morrison, especially for the band, well, especially for the band and Dylan, and also for Van Morrison, the Janis Joplin pictures of mine. Um, so uh, I make sure when it's under my control that they're really stunning photographs. Really, by stunning, I mean that you look at it and you don't keep walking. You look at it and, you, and it goes inside you in some way you think about it you remember it and it really brightens your life a little bit uh, i love photography i love to see beautiful photographs uh, my, my living room is wall is filled with books of, of photographs from uh, that other people have done and i like my photographs to be that good that it that it changes not changes it adds to somebody's life experience and makes them smile a little bit when they think of it yeah you're correct especially when you're talking about older pictures of somebody as iconic as Janis Joplin was, mm. if they're never before seen pictures, there's normally a reason it's because they were double exposed or there was like a dead <laughs> right. fly on the lens <laughs> right. or they were, right. they were out of that's focus, right. but that's right. I've, I've seen a couple of, uh, I guess a couple of the pictures from your book you have uh, posted in some videos on your Facebook page. Those definitely don't fall into that category. They're, they're, I yeah. mean, they're, like you yeah. said, stunning is a good word for them. Every picture that's in this book, I think is a beautiful photograph um and uh um makes me want to look at it again and again uh so i'm even surprised because i don't remember all the pictures we put in <laughs> and everything like i just turned to i, I guess we're not going to have video here are we i'll show it to you anyway this is photo actually i think it's one of the ones that we put out that the press could use before publication and it's oh, just wow. janice at the newport folk festival and just yesterday my wife showed it to me you know we were just looking through the stuff and i said wow i can't believe that picture was never published before it's such an amazing photograph of her uh what page is it on it's on if, if you get the book it's a picture on page 25 okay <laughs> where she's a you know when you get it you can't have it now so anyway so so these are what i think are beautiful photographs and it's it's there's 129 to total pictures 196 pages and if i didn't have enough pictures to fill the space, I wouldn't have used the pictures. I would have made it a smaller book because I had pretty much complete control over 
the size of the book and how many pictures went in and which pictures went in and how we laid them out, what text we put next to them. Um, I, this is about my 12th book, I think. And the earlier ones, I didn't have that kind of control. And even though uh, I, I, I never had a bad experience with it, but, but sometimes people just took the pictures and put them in there, let's say. Uh, there's one book that's 500 pages of my photographs and uh, they're okay but it doesn't have, it's not a book, it's just a bunch of pictures. So I was able to control this totally. And also the book I did in my band photographs, which is now out of print, um, to have, I was, I didn't have to discuss it with anyone uh, who had ideas for it. For me, I just, I wanna make my books a picture frame. So you look at them and it really frames the picture. I'm a photographer. Uh, and in this case with Janice, I was able to do that with the picture frame, but also use the words to enhance it. And the words really, really are just very, very beautiful. Um, and I really look forward to hearing what people think about this actually. It's quite nice. Yeah, so and you're talking ahead. about, when you talk about somebody like Janice Joplin and, and the, 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 the late 1960s, that to me is sort of the golden age of rock photography. And I don't know if it just seems a little less special now because we're so deluged with images of everybody all the time, but great images of somebody like Janis Joplin are a little bit more, you know, few and far between than say Beyonce or somebody now who you could go Google her name and there's probably five or 6 billion <laughs> images of, available of her. Are there a lot of great pictures of her? I mean, she looks great in any picture. Well, sure. <laughs> but but uh, there are a lot of great pictures of her. I don't follow the pictures of her, you know, specifically. If I pass by one, I'll look at it, of course, and see how beautiful she is. Um, but I don't know, you know, I'm not familiar with the with the photographic uh, genre of Beyonce photographs. Um, I would like to, if she's listening to this, I, I, I would have loved to have taken mother and baby photographs. That's what... I've done in a major part of my life is just take mother and baby photographs. Yeah. So I, I love, I love that kind of work. Well, Beyonce, if you're listening, please call Elliot and we'll yeah. see if we can line that I, up. I, I was hoping when, when she was in that stage, especially with young children like that, that I somehow well, make that connection, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, what I mean more mean is that the, the, the photographs that people like you took in the 1960s, they seem a little bit more special because they're a little bit more rare. Whereas now, there are a, a, almost literally a billion images of every celebrity that, that you could go find right now. Interesting. Yes, very true. Uh, well, now it's easier to take the pictures. The, the equipment's a lot, a lot better. The lenses are much more light sensitive and photographic uh, um, um, naming. It's, uh, you, you say the lenses are faster lenses. Uh, you need less light. The light is much higher. Uh, than it was when I was taking photographs of Janis Joplin. I mean, a lot of my pictures are a 15th of a second, an eighth of a second. And to do that, I had to get, and the, the film was not nearly as sensitive as what it is today. The same thing as how they go to space today. I mean, they, years ago, you know, they, they, you had a computer the size of a house to, to, to make a spaceship go. And now it can run on an iPhone somewhat. I'm not saying it does. But you know, there's so uh, technology is so much more advanced, and also, uh, so so photographers are much better equipped to do that. And like when I was in those years, um, the film I was using was was like for those who know what that means, it was like 125 ASA, 
right? Today, when you're taking pictures with a with a, a digital camera, you're at 3000 ASA sometimes if you want, without even struggling, um, 125 ASA. And then I had to special process it. So it needed uh, four times less light and still gave me good color photographs. So I had special laboratory processes done to it. There's a really tech, technological challenge actually. And um, uh, so that's why they were rare, I guess. You, you have to learn how to do this stuff and technology advanced. And uh, I guess I was one of the first people to do these kind of photographs. And I loved it too. It's great. <laughs> I still like to do, once in a while I go to a concert and like it so much, I take out my camera and take pictures of it. But I, I don't really do it anymore. Yeah. Now, uh, before we get into the specifics of, of your pictures of Janice and the book that's coming out, whenever I meet somebody who is from an interesting line of work, and since you've hung out with you know Bob Dylan and Levon Helm, I think you fall into that category. Um, I always want to know how they got there. So were you a photographer who loved music and you married those two interests, or were you a journalist who happened to cover the coolest beat in the world? How did you get started in music photography? I was a person who I discovered I loved to take pictures. And the first job I ever had brought me right to Denmark, right to working on a feature film in Denmark with some major Scandinavian stars. And um, I immediately was able to sell those photographs that have like covers and centerfolds and stories and centerfolds of major Swedish and Danish magazines. So I had kind of an instant success once I decided to be a photographer um, because I had to figure out how I wanted to live, you know, did I, how I want to earn money. And at that time, I liked two things. I like going out with girls and I like taking pictures. And I thought, well, I don't want to make money from going out with girls. So I may as well make money from photography. So I really, it was a choice of doing something I like to do. I had decided I have to do something I like doing to, to earn money in my life. Um, before that, I had an office job after I graduated from college, lasted six months and I barely lasted that long doing it. And then I knew I had to find a good thing to do in photography. So anyway, so I, I did this, I, I went to Denmark for about nine months working on this film and then staying there afterwards. Um, the Vietnam War was going on. And when I was away from the States so long, I, I became more sensitive to what was really happening there. And I wanted to, I decided that I, and I found out how, how powerful my pictures could be, meaning that they could get widely published and well-known and so on from my success at that. So I was no longer just a, a person with a camera. I felt I was, I was in a, I could, I could do what I wanted to do with the camera. So I decided I wanted to help stop the Vietnam war by showing how bad war was. And, and then I thought, so my first thought was I'll, I'll go to Vietnam and show how bad war is. And my second thought was, I don't want to go to Vietnam and I don't want to be anywhere near anybody shooting anything. And um, so that wasn't the approach to take. And then I, I thought, well, there are all these peace demonstrations going on. So if I photograph these peace demonstrations and shared them with, with, in media and showed people how many, how many show, show people in the United States, how many people were against the war, then that could do something to help stop what was happening in Vietnam. Um, so I, when I went back home, I started to try and do that with, with major media. And I wasn't able to, uh, I went up to the Associated Press one time with some pictures of, um, what was it, it right, with, um, the, there, was a, there was a demonstration against South African diamond mining. And 
the and the demonstration was peaceful there were people with signs and everything but there was no violence whatsoever the police came and started beating people for absolutely no reason absolutely Jeez. no reason and they beat somebody it was a, a man on crutches and and they uh, you know the police started chasing everyone and he was running away but he ran the slowest so so they knocked him to the ground and they were hitting him i don't i don't think they were massacring him it wasn't as bad as that but they certainly hit him with a stick you know a few times you know with the nightstick and i so i took pictures of it i had a, a police press pass and i took those pictures to the associated press and they developed them on the spot in, in black and white they had a fast developing machine uh because it was taken with film of course and when they saw the pictures they said these aren't the pictures these, these aren't the kind of pictures we use something like that and i said but this was on fifth avenue here you know this is look at this and but they weren't interested at all so the 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 way i i found to get the, the press passes was if you didn't have a press pass the police would would knock your camera down or knock you down or you know they didn't want to be photographed doing this stuff uh but or you had to stay within certain i'm sorry I, yeah i mean that's not really true all of what i not really accurate it's true but it's not really accurate it wasn't every policeman doing that all the time but there was always the danger of that happening uh when you were in in a um a peace demonstration so with a with a and with a press pass i could go where i wanted to go and generally the 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 police as well as the demonstrators respected that nobody was pushing you around and i frankly didn't want to be pushed around especially not with my valuable cameras my expensive cameras so um i would go to these demonstrations and and take the pictures and then publish them in underground newspapers uh, there were two of them one was the new york free press and the other one was was called the rat subterranean news meaning underground news um and then um so what i was doing was really trying to to stop the war i was really a an activist in in that sense at the same time i was taking pictures and in the end i realized that the, a beautiful photograph was much more meaningful to me than being an activist in something but i had to do both at the same time but really i was always looking to create beauty that was always my my first i would i would edit the photographs to see the harmony of the image uh and then the content to me was secondary also important if you want to publish it in a story about a peace demonstration let's say but for me my my heart and soul just went to the the um the balance of the image the form of the image more so than it did what the image was of so i learned something about myself like that actually and then when we, when we um when when i started to publish these pictures i was became the photo editor of, a, of a, one of the newspapers called the rat subterranean news and i was walking home one night from helping the put the, you know publish the paper basically making the layout and picture choices and so on um and i saw on a marquee country joe and the fish light show and i thought what is that <laughs> no idea what that was really and i walked over to the box office and i heard music coming out and i said i'm a press photographer i showed my pass and they let me go inside and i was met by this wall of light incredible light show i don't know if it was a joshua light show then but it was an incredible beautiful light show and with which is light shows are amazing it's not like today's light effects a light show was like multiple people working with different tools 
um, some had movie projectors and some had slide projectors and some had oil or colored oils which they mixed with water and they had that in a tray in a dish and they they moved the dish up and down on top of other colored oils in time to the music and they they used the projectors in time to the music so what you really had was a visual band doing visual effects and it was improvisational it was spontaneous and it was magical it was really amazing stuff it was like a, it was like being at a grateful dead jam as opposed to a pre a pre-organized show um so uh i was smitten by this experience and two weeks later the second uh show that this was they were having in this theater called the anderson theater um was big brother and the holding company starting starring janice joplin so that was the first time i photographed janice joplin because after i had seen the the country joe concert i was really taken with this and i loved i got beautiful photographs of, of him in the light show and then i went back for the second concert i had no idea who janice joplin was or who big brother was um but i was uh, completely taken with the music. I mean, it's just extraordinary, extraordinary band. Big Brother, aside from Janis Shopping, the other members are an amazing energy, amazingly wonderful musicians. And we're not talking technically because I don't really know thing, technical aspects of music. Um, but I know that they they got some bad rap from Janice's management that they weren't such great musicians. And that's why they kind of urged her to move on to get another band and so on. She left them. But in, in my book, there's one quote where she says something like um, Big Brother may 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 well be the best band I'll ever play with and so on. But I had to move on. I'm paraphrasing her now. You know, I had other th other kinds of music to make that they weren't into doing. Um, but anyway, so the the first experience, first concert experience was magical with her. And uh, of all the concerts that I've seen, which which are not that many, but in those years, I mean, I saw Hendrix and Eric Clapton and the band and, and so on. And, uh, um, and uh, the Big Brothers concerts with Janice were the best that I, I saw, the, the ones that affected me the most, that I felt most excited by. And I was just, when I was there, just... Uh, taking photographs that just merged with the music for me. It was really quite a magical, wonderful experience. So that's how I, I got into music photography, really, by chance. I, I didn't set out to be a music photographer. I didn't set out to document bands and so on. I just kind of bumped into this concert one night and had such a good time there that I went back again and again and again. And when I got when I stopped having a good time at it, when uh, things tightened up and you couldn't stand any way you wanted to stand, you and sometimes they gave you only the first three songs. Um, plus, I had done it already. I had I had taken pictures at concerts a lot, and it was really the photography that was what it was about for me. Like for me, merging and blending, being at these concerts and taking a photograph while I was hearing the music. I don't even remember a lot of times what was happening in front of me. I just, I'm always just, I was always concentrating on composing the image and then snapping the shutter. It's not like today where you have as much digital imagery, as much digital space as you want. You can take a thousand pictures in a night. We had, you know, 36 pictures in a roll of film before you had to stop and change the roll. And you had only, and it was expensive, the film, and you had to process it. 
Um, so maybe if you had five or 10 rolls of film, that's 360 pictures at the most in an evening. Uh, of course, I wasn't being paid for doing this. I was just doing it on my own. And nor had I begun selling these pictures really for any, any kind of decent money. And money was very tight. I didn't have a lot of money at all there. So you took a picture because you thought it was going to be a good picture, not right. because you were not because you were there with with the with with the shutter release button under your finger, you know, <laughs> which is a big difference there. Um, yeah, it, so. it's really interesting that you sort of came to music photography through activism and protest because activism and protest and music were hand in hand in hand in the late late 1960s yes for me that's what it was about it was i i didn't mention that part yet thank you for reminding me um that when i was uh photographing the concerts and then publishing the pictures afterwards i felt like i was proselytizing uh for a new culture for a new way of thinking for a new way of being a new way of being free and for women being equal to men and not just the subsidiary to, to men. Um, as Janice was a very strong woman and she made it very clear from the stage that she was in charge, you know, like uh, that she did what she wanted to do. Um, and uh, the whole uh, thing about smoking grass, which is really a communal situation. Uh, you would walk into the theater and somebody probably offer you a joint. Uh, at some point during the concert, uh, and it was the idea of sharing and and being brotherly, being or sisterly, being humanly. I guess if you want to say brotherly and sisterly together, would you say humanly, perhaps, or um, something like that? And someone's got to come up with a term for that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I felt that I was showing how beautiful the musicians were, and then people would be listening, would listen to the music also. And it was really proselytizing, saying, this is a beautiful way of being and come on down and be part of it and so on. And then that then transfers to the normal way you think in life also. So yeah, for me, it was a proselytizing. However, I wasn't doing it to proselytize. I was doing it because I really loved taking those photographs. And I really loved going to those concerts and hearing that music. And prosel the, prosel the, the communication, I say proselytizing, that's kind of become a bad word because you try and force people to do things. For me, I was just sharing what I found beautiful myself and trying to express the richness of it with the hope that people would then say, well, let me try this. That's nice. Like you say, this is a great chocolate cake, you know? <laughs> so that's really what I was doing. So the word proselytizing it kind of, I use that word specifically because it's a, it's a very active word, but in fact, I was doing it in a passive way. So if what I saw was correct, you were either the official or one of the official photographers of Woodstock? Yeah, well, I was, there, there were two of us. There was myself and Henry Dilson and uh, um, Michael Lang, who created the festival and his partners, John Roberts and Joe Rosenman, asked me to photograph it for him. He, we both lived in Woodstock and I knew him from, from, from town. One day he called me up and he said, uh, can I come over? I want to ask you, you know, I want to talk to you for a minute. So he, he rode over to my house on his motorcycle, my house in Woodstock and he's on his motorcycle. And he said, um, I'm producing a concert. Do you want to photograph it? And I said, um, you know, who's playing? <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, he named some of the famous names. I don't remember which ones he said. And it was very impressive, of course. 
And I said, sure, you know, when is it? And blah, 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 blah. And he told me about when it's going to be. And he said, okay, um, I'll get back to you, you know, or, or I'll call you when I'm ready. And we, as, and as I say, it wasn't even a handshake. We didn't even have to, we just said, he said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I want to do it. I'll do it. Okay. Like that. So we it's just kind of done on faith and trust. So at one point I realized, well, gee, if, if I did it for the promoters of the concert and, you know, they gave me, I, I had a motel to stay in overnight and I had, I was the only one with as far as i know maybe henry had it also i'm sure he did but i don't know he wasn't on the stage at all uh, i was the only one with with full stage access they told the people told john morris and the, and chipmunk and the stage people the guys that anytime i wanted to go on stage just to let me go by which was very nice so that was both good and bad it was good because i took a lot of pictures from the stage that no one else was able to get the photographer's pit if you see some of my photographs are picture of the woodstock the photographers were in a, in a in a pit down below the stage um and i was able to be on top and i was at the time very grateful and still am for that opportunity um to share the, the views of what i saw there but i was very can i say right because i was able to be on stage i wasn't out in the crowd that much i, I walked around a little bit here and there but if I wasn't allowed on stage, I would have been out in the crowd a lot, right? And gotten a lot of other kinds of pictures. So in a way it was good and bad, but I mean, I can't say it was bad at all. It was, it was a little bit limiting because I had that access, but there were, you know, thank goodness, there were other people to get the more pictures. You know, there's no one, one or two people that got, can, can really show what Woodstock was about. Um, so, so that's, so, but at some point I realized, well, if I took pictures for the promoters and so on, that, would make me the official photographer of it and uh, I started to say that every so often and I was having this show at the New York State Museum and I wrote to them and they asked me you know what my background was and I included that line I was the official photographer of, of Woodstock um, Woodstock Festival and she said yeah she says you have to prove that to me you have to verify that I can't just this is a state organization you know I can't just put that in in our in our brochure you know in our whatever in our description of the your exhibition so um you know uh, uh, they wrote to mike lang i wrote to mike lang and he said yes he was um so so that's where the official photographer in those days the thing about woodstock is there was nothing official about it it was very free form and the idea of uh you know and the official the woodstock happened because the official ness stayed out of it the police the governor rockefeller knew governor rockefeller told the, the state police to stay out of it because there were fears that i mean they knew people were smoking grass using drugs so to speak you, you know um uh, which was ridiculous now it's legal everywhere it's being legalized so many places it was absurd that they considered it a dangerous drug as it is today it's even regulated today but um the police were thinking about coming in and, and stopping everyone from doing this stuff. And they were luckily, they were convinced that they did that, they would cause a riot. And a lot of people would get hurt, really a lot of people would get hurt. Um, and Governor Rockefeller told them to stay out and so on. So, so they stayed out of it in that way. Uh, so there was nothing official is what I'm saying. Everything was ad hoc. And uh, um, the, um, um, the hog farm with wavy gravy was was the was the leader of the hog farm uh, was the guide 
of the hog farm. They fed everybody. They went, uh, they went in the school bus down to New York City and got a whole lot of food to feed people. And they were also the police. They, they, I think they, they were called the pol, pol, police. Instead of police, the police force. And um, they were completely nonviolent. And if, if somebody was having a bad trip, they would just talk them down, you know. They would hug them instead of threatening them and arresting and so on. So it was kind of an example of how life should be lived, really, of how how people should should try. And I mean, you have to have police for sure, but it's how you enforce the power of, of police that matters. And um, a lot of times it's not done correctly, but at Woodstock it was, of course, there wasn't the police that were inside. It was the hog farmers. It was really great. It was really fun. You should read. There's a whole lot of stuff to read about Woodstock now. Hey, TJ, Elliot, we got to take a quick break here for our sponsors. All right, gentlemen, we are back. All right, we're back now for more of our discussion with legendary photographer Elliot Landy. Um, I can be, I've got uh, in my book, Woodstock Vision, Spirit of a Generation. And actually, that's quite a, I've, that's quite a, uh, a whole lot of stuff about Woodstock is I interviewed the important people behind the scenes and some people who were there. It really is a very good documentation of what was happening and how it happened, how it, how it came to be and so on. Um, so it's called Woodstock Vision, the Spirit of a Generation. And you can get it for almost nothing used on Amazon uh, or else you could, you could buy it from me signed on my website. Um, I have, you get the hardcover edition um, it's been out in three different editions. And the third one, the hardcover one, which has a bunch of pictures on the cover, is really like two books. It's a combination of a book I did about the Woodstock Festival and then the book I did about my other photographs, uh, uh, Hendrix, Janice, uh, the peace demonstration photographs. So make sure you get the hardcover one published by Backbeat Books, actually. And that's been, that's been it's, it's still in print, actually. And then I just published this new book on Amazon called Woodstock, uh, the, wow, I got to get that. That's what's it called, Woodstock. Oh, uh, Woodstock, A Spiritual Moment in Time. And it's a very thin book. And it's, it's on Amazon. It's $15. It's only on Amazon. And what, it, what I did was is that I got quotations from people. I got uh, not essays from, from people that I knew or what I had seen before to talk about the spirituality of the event. Woodstock was a very spiritual moment in time. It was quite, as the title says, it was quite a unique uh, moment and that we should be studying. Like how do people live in such peace and harmony and come out feeling so good when there was a shortage of food, there was certainly no place to go to the bathroom normally. And uh, everybody got wet when it rained and there was no room. People were squashed in. Not not squashed in. People were tight, but nobody stepped on other, on anyone else. There were no riots happening at all. And how did this happen? Why did this happen? Uh, it was a result of what the hippie culture was about at that time. Uh, and I say that we should be studying this. That we should be studying what the way of thinking was, what the mind space of the people in the '60s who were part of that Woodstock generation, who were into that. Not everyone was like that, of course. Um, so my book, uh, uh, Woodstock, A Spiritual Moment in Time, seeks to address that a little bit. It talks about the cosmic place that the event had in human, in human society, in culture, in history. Um, the, the, uh, it was the, the, 
we are in right now the beginning of what they call in astro astrological terms the Aquarian age and we're just coming out of the Piscean age and when you read about what the Aquarian age is like going to be like versus what the Piscean age was was like the the principle for instance the Piscean age everything is run from the top down it, there, there's not it's it's a it's a a, a male male dominated a male energetically male not not biologically male dominated thinking and philosophy i won't go into too much more because i i'm not going to say it so clearly but it's really really a good read and I, i've put in a few of my my nicest photographs in there so it's a nice little picture book um yeah. woodstock a spiritual moment in time and I didn't come here to talk about that, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of non-musicians who, who got to stand on the stage at Woodstock, Elliot, Wavy Gravy, Abby Hoffman, is that pretty much it? Yeah. Oh, more. Oh, well, I mean, there was a staff. There was John Morris who was announcing it. And a lot of the time Chipmunk. Uh, and there were all the sound people and the crew people and so on. Yeah. But, but I guess for those who weren't working at the festival, that's what you're saying. I never thought of that. And yes, you're right. <laughs> Um, I guess so. I guess there weren't I, many. I've seen a few uh, pictures, and I, I think maybe a couple of these are in the, the forthcoming book of Janice at Woodstock, and but a couple of them are not of her on stage. Did you did you get a chance to kind of follow her around? Because there's one where it looks like she's sitting in the grass drinking champagne. <laughs> well, I didn't follow her around, but since I had a, a all, all all area pass, I would I walked around and I was out in the, in the with the crowd sometimes. But I went, those pictures of Janice drinking champagne were done in the performer's pavilion, which was um, uh, what the backstage would be, you know, but there was no backstage um, because everything was, was open air. So it was just an area that was set off for performers and staff, uh, not staff, performers and their staffs who were working there. And they had food and, and alcohol. Janice had, had a bottle of champagne that she was drinking. And I just wandered in there and not knowing who was there at all. And I saw Janice just, just sitting there alone. Um, and I, I, had, I knew her because I photographed her at the Anderson Theater. I didn't see, so when I, that first night at the Anderson Theater, um, I, had, uh, I was able to go backstage and up into their dressing room because there was no tight security like that. And, and they saw that I had a camera, I had a few cameras around my neck. So I was obviously a professional photographer and, and the people who were just at the bottom of the steps or whatever, looking at, you know, watching who goes into the dressing room, just let me go in. So I got to know her and the guys in the band very quickly. And uh, we, we got along very well. Uh, I didn't, I don't get too, I'm very, very, very um, receptive, meaning meaning I fade into the background when possible when I'm taking a picture. I don't want to be front and center. I don't want people to know that I'm photographing them because I want to show who they are naturally. I want to get, I like, I call it photo verite, truthful photography. Um, and um, the, the term cinema verite, which means documentaries, but I call it photo verite. So I got friendly with them and they like me. And, and I, I went to uh, Detroit with them. Uh, they had a gig at the Grandy Ballroom and I went with to Detroit and we stayed in the same hotel. We hung out a little bit and so on. And then, so I, I'd gotten to know them that there were a few other times in events that I saw them. So I was, uh, I was 
somewhat, I, I was, I can't say friendly with Janice, but I was friendly with her. And though we weren't friends, we hadn't been hanging out a lot and things like that, but we were very comfortable with each other. She came over to my house one time in Manhattan uh, to look for pictures for Cosmic Blues for the cover of Cosmic Blues. And she didn't find any she liked, but but we hung out then. And and uh, so it was very comfortable. It was like seeing a person I knew. Um, it's not like seeing a superstar. Um, so anyway, so we, we talked for a little while and I took a few pictures and then I moved on. I, I walked around some more. And then um, I think I saw her. She was also, she left that area and and we were on a lawn behind the performance pavilion. I'm not sure if we went out there together or I caught up with her again doing that. I don't recall that part of it. But anyway, that's where those pictures were taken, really. And then the pictures at Woodstock uh, were on stage. I was on stage with her. I wasn't on stage with many uh, like that. I was in front on stage. Uh, I was on stage for a lot of the, the musicians, but I was in the back, you know, not not in, not in front of them. Uh, but with Janice, I was able to go not exactly in front of her, but very close off to the side. And I thought it was an amazing performance. I mean, I was hearing it without the amplification of, uh, and I know that, again, a lot of people say it wasn't a good performance, but for me, it was astounding. Uh, she, she was astounding. And she was not with Big Brother and the Holding Company anymore. It was with, um, uh, with another band that she had formed and so on. So that's how I photographed her at Woodstock. And that was also the last time that I photographed her. So uh, that was actually going to, you touched on this a little bit. This was something I was going to ask you. When you are taking pictures of Janice or Jimi Hendrix or Jim Morrison or whoever, did you ever establish relationships with them or did you always adhere to the, I'm the photographer, you're the subject, and there's kind of a wall there. But, but, but in Janice's case, at least you said you were at least friendly with her. Oh, yeah. Well, because we went to Detroit together and no, I established, let's see, well, with Jim Morrison, uh, I didn't know, I didn't say anything to him at all. Um, I was, I was in the, uh, not in the, uh, in the audience taking pictures. And then afterwards, I took a few of him, just them standing on, uh, standing around a little bit. It was just him and um, Ray, um, uh, well, Ray, God, can't remember his name. Oh, my God. That's terrible. <laughs> Him and one of the other members of the band. Um, and with Jimi Hendrix, I was sitting at a table. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy, a writer named Al Aronowitz, was interviewing him for the one of the New York newspapers. And I was sitting next to Al taking pictures while he was interviewing Hendrix. So I got a very kind of intimate connection to him, in intimate experience with him. Because, because he was just being so effusive in what he was saying and, and so really wise and really interesting and just was really uh, a thing to hear him talk to be so close like that. But I didn't know him personally at all. Um, and um, then with the band and with Bob Dylan, it was very different. But then I became friendly with the band and friendly with Bob. Um, and we had lots of conversations and lots of talks and lots of time with each other. I mean, with the band, especially, of course, because I photographed them a lot more, but also with Bab, I can't, with Bob, I can't say lots, but I'll say that again, so you can cut me out. <laughs> but also with Bob, I can't say we had lots of conversation, but we had a, a, a fair number of them. And uh, he asked me to stay over at his house one evening, one, one weekend, uh, I had come up to photograph him. Um, and um, 
right? I came up with the photograph and then, right, then, and then the next week, and then I went back to the stage process to film. And a few days later, the next week later, I went back up to Woodstock to show them the photographs. And we spent time looking over the contact sheets and maybe some proof prints I had made. And, um, uh, and then I, he said, you're going back to the city now. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to go stay with Rick, meaning Rick Danko and Levon Helm of the band. And Bob said, well, you can stay upstairs if you want. You know, I have a, I have a, you know we have an extra room there. So I stayed over like that. And so we spent some good time together. Uh, and also while taking photographs, we talked a lot. So really it depends on, on who the person is. But if I don't know the person, like with the case of Bob and the band, I was invited there to take pictures. That was my job, so to speak. And the, uh, so I felt very comfortable in saying something. But at the same time, I don't tell people, stand over there, look like this. I don't come there with a the concept. I always come uh kind of without any idea of what to do and figure out and figure it'll show up in a way um and that there's one exception to that in my publicly known photography was the uh picture of the band that was in the music from big pink album um where i had photographed them uh two sessions before we took that picture in the third session and the first session, I won't go into this too long because I don't, I'm not going to have that much time right now. That's a whole other conversation. But um, they, we got, I went up there one one time and showed them the picture. They liked it, but I said, I don't see what the picture we want for an album. And went back a second time with the same situation. And then I had to think about what they wanted for an album. And by that time, I had gotten to know them and know who they were and know what their vibration was, what their essence was. And they were really connected. They were really connected to the earth. They were very grounded people and they were very old fashioned in the way they believed in being gracious to everyone. One of the bad parts of the sixties is that you could be very flippant. You stopped, stopped respecting authority, let's say, and you stopped trusting elders, which was justified because the elders were, were leading us into war all the time. They were polluting the planet. So the, really, the respect for elders was necessary to lose that respect in order to change things. Um, but um, so people were very kind of casual and they were, they were not, they were respectful and nice. And anyway, so I figured out how the picture should look um, of you know, what, what I wanted. Uh, I don't know how much more time we have here. I'm feeling like, uh, did you want to ask me some more questions? Uh, uh, just a couple, and then we'll, we'll, we'll ahead, finish up with, with the book. I, yeah. I don't want to monopolize the microphone, so please, I'm sorry. Hey, I, do find, I do find it interesting that, that Dylan is a guy who, who you befriended a little bit. I mean, he, he asked you to, I mean, you know, stay at his house or whatever, because he has a reputation for being a little bit prickly and intimidating, actually. Well, I can't speak to his reputation, yeah, my experience with him was all very positive. I Good. I was very just just really friendly, um, and I I think that's because yeah I know I mean I, you see don't look back and you know and you hear stories and so on, but uh, you know I was as I said about the my the anti-war photographs even back then when I started always I was always in it for the beautiful photograph. To me, that's why I was there. And I was there 
not because it was a job and I wanted to advance my career. I wanted to make money with it. I, I was there because I wanted to, to, to do something nice, you know, and yeah. something nice for me was making a, making a picture that was composed beautifully and nice to look at. And so I didn't want, I didn't see being with Bob as a career enhancement. And I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do with the pictures and, and how it was going to make me famous or anything like that. Um, I was just trying to do a nice picture. And I think he sensed that, that in other words, I didn't want to take advantage. There was nothing, I didn't want anything more from our relationship than getting a good photograph. Okay. And then we had these really, really nice conversations. And of course I enjoyed those too, but that was at his initiation in a way. I don't start, you know, I don't, I don't push conversation, but if someone wants to talk to me, then I'll be happy to answer. <laughs> uh, when, when you're, when you're around uh, some of these people, particularly off stage, did they keep up a little bit of a front, any of them or, or no, no, that's the thing. I was fortunate in the sixties. People were themselves. They were supposed to be themselves as artists. They were allowed to be themselves. That's why the music is so special. Um, so I don't remember anyone who was, who put up a front and, and really was, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, what's, what's the word here for this? Who felt they were better than everybody else just because they were musicians and they were the stars. They were just really decent people. But they, they didn't put up a wall. I mean, they acted very yeah. natural and, and yeah. almost bad. Because I mean, I, I always tell people, I, I'm always careful to make this distinction. I'm not a photographer. I'm a dude that takes pictures. And there's a really big difference. <laughs> I have to take pictures till I work for a newspaper. But even when I go to shoot something, there's always a little bit of something where people are always aware that the guy with the camera is standing there, it feels like. And maybe well, they act well, that's a little what, different. That's than, what, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They act a little different. Well, that's what I try to. I, be, I really try to make myself invisible. You see, so maybe I succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Who was that who took that picture? You know, I mean, I really, really wanted to be invisible. I just kind of maybe, maybe I, I, I had something to do with it the way I thought about it, the way in my mind I would, you know what? Give me a second to let me try and go back there a minute and see if I can think about this a second. Yeah, it's funny. I, when you start, when you started mentioning that, I feel like I'm just taking my arms and shoulders and and hunching, hunching up and closing in and making myself as small as possible and making my uh, kind of shrinking, like compressing my presence would be the word in, in the room. And uh, I never, when we were taking pictures, even on one-on-one -on -one situation with Bob or the guys, in the back, I never tell them, look this way, look that way, do this, do that. And the moment they feel finished with the photograph, we stop. I don't say, no, one more, one more, you know, do this and so on. Um, and that's how my good pictures happen, really. Just kind of go with the flow. It's yeah. a beautiful 60s expression. That's why we should be studying the 60s. There's expressions like that, go with the flow. Go with the flow. The essential underlying meaning of that is the path of least resistance to, to the way water flows. And the path of leaf resistance for us, for human beings, is to do what we really feel good doing about both ethically, morally, physically, um, creatively. So if one 
gets in touch with one's essence, one's inner being, and knows what feels good and doesn't feel good, and then doesn't want to participate in things that don't make them feel good. I'm not saying like having to work because you got to pay the rent, you know, that's, but that can make you feel good also because you're paying the rent. Uh, but you, you know, if you're, let's say, making guns, uh, for example, or, um, you know, doing, uh, making toxic chemicals and so on, or, or doing other stuff that's not, or you're, you're hurting people in some way, you know, who knows what, I can't get into specifics. Um, but, you know, if that doesn't make you feel good, in other words, so it's really a question of righteous living, I guess, that is what go with the flow is about. And so, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I think I answered oh, no, that question. I, I no, hope. I was just gonna say before, before we uh, circle back to the to the book that you have coming out and the, the Kickstarter that's supporting it. Uh, there is a very important question we do have to ask uh, all of the very few guests who have been here. Uh, have you ever photographed Manfred Mann of Manfred Mann's Earth Band? I have never done that, nor am I that familiar with his music. Um, and um, nor would I ever have thought of that question. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have what we call the federally mandated Manfred Mann's oh. Earth Band reference of our podcast. So that's just uh, uh, very important oh. we get that in. Well, I have um, something to say about that because <laughs> there are certain people that I would have loved to have photographed that I didn't for looking back. At the time, it wasn't like that. I didn't have anybody I really wanted to photograph and didn't get to do. Matter of fact, the people I photographed was all a surprise. Photographing Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, the band, Bob, the band didn't even exist. And I got the job to photograph them. Um, so I didn't really have people. I, but looking back, I would have loved to have photographed some of the jazz people like John, John Coltrane. I would have loved to, you know, but the pictures I see of, of them are not so great. I don't see them as looking like very special subjects. I don't, maybe I would have done better. And, and uh, you know, Miles Davis on his good days, I guess. Um, and just, uh, just, I won't go on with the jazz people. Uh, and there's a lot of the rock musicians would have been nice to photograph them. I just did recently, I was in Germany and I was invited to go to a concert uh, a, a little Stephen um, concert, and that was extraordinary. What a great concert that was! And I took pictures of it, and I made the I took stills from the audience, and I made that into a film, into a very beautiful film that I synced together with the music. And I'm waiting for for him to look at it. So if he hears this, <laughs> I spoke to him. I, I met him backstage. And he said, please send it. I want to look at it. But I don't think he's looked at it yet because I'm sure I'd get a call back. It's really a stunningly beautiful video that I made from my still photos. And I guess there was some video there also that I shot at the same time, uh, you know, because of the still camera, you can shoot both these days. But the, the photos are colorized, They're really beautiful work. So I may do a book of those one day because there's so many gorgeous pictures. I never thought of it until we're having this conversation. There's so many beautiful photographs in this. I mean, he had three women dancing and the gorgeous costumes and and, uh, and he's wearing this very colorful bandana and shirt and so on. Um, so I there are so many great stills. I have to do that. You've just you've just born another project for me <laughs> by this conversation. Now, see, the, the funny thing is our uh, normal co-host, LD, who, who's not with us today. She actually, I think, was in an episode of The Sopranos with little Steven. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, she was. Yeah, she would. She played a dead body, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God she was acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very challenging role. She uh, wait, wait, there. But I hope she wasn't typecast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she played what she played a dead person in uh, Poseidon and a dead person in um, in uh, the Sopranos, and uh, that's uh, that's kind of her thing. Yeah, that's wonderful. work if you're happy about doing it, then yeah. exactly <laughs> right. So, so Elliot, I, I guess the the, the 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 last part of things here. When did you kind of come back to these these pictures, the unpublished pictures of Dennis Joplin, and go, you know, these would make a book. That, that's what I should do with these. When, when did that kind of start to occur to you that, or, I mean, had you forgotten that you had them even? No, no, no. I didn't forget them because I see pictures of her all the time. I, I make what, what I, I make now, I do fine art prints myself and I, I make them myself and I sign. I mean, I have an assistant who helps me, but I'm there at every moment, uh, correcting it, making it brighter, darker, changing the color and everything like that. Uh, so I'm really in control of it completely, 100% in control of it to the point where it takes so much time sometimes it's painful um, but i'm very perfectionistic about what my prints look like and what you know which is a good photograph and that's what i started saying in the beginning of the of the conversation that i didn't just all the photographs that are in the book are in the book because i think they're beautiful and there's no yeah that's an interesting photograph but people like to see it not that i would be against publishing those but in, in in a book that I make in my books, uh, which I say, um, I want it to be only the really beautiful stuff. So um, I had been, uh, I have prints of her around when I make exhibitions, she's always included. So they're, they're kind of around the house in frames or they're in storage or, and then I make a print if somebody wants to buy one. Um, uh, and, you know, for, for, as I said, for exhibitions. So they're around me all the time and if i didn't love the pictures i would i could i wouldn't be making them just to sell that's not i'm not saying i wouldn't maybe give them to somebody and let them do it commercially uh, like that I, I might not even do that because i really care that the pictures that that i show are artistic works artistic works means that they that they stimulate a certain feeling that a person has inside a feeling of experiencing beauty which is experiencing love love is feeling very easy about something so easy that you're part of the allness of life um so art is art can some kinds of art can bring you there to that space so basically i had pictures of her which i would pass and say wow that's gorgeous i mean that's i would just be really as if it was a new to see it didn't bore me at all because it was so strong and i felt that my body of work of her was amongst the best of the work i've done i, I did in that rock and roll period let's call it um so it was always there and then i just had the time in my life now to do it i'm i'm uh, i'm 78 now soon to be 79 um and I I feel that it's important to me. Uh, in politics, they say what somebody's legacy is. I'm not caring about my legacy, not about me, but I care that the photographs that I took, which incorporate a vibration, a feeling, a way of uh, experiencing life, that these things be seen and available for people to experience. 
So a book is one way to do that. It's really the first time, first time a lot have been published, but really even the ones that have been published, uh, very they're not often published with really good colors or really rich black and white. They're just a picture in a magazine, which is mediocre by nature. It has to be mediocre because they're not selling it for a lot of money. Um, and they're, yeah, um, and right. So I try to make it as beautiful as I could do. I haven't seen the book yet. I'm crossing my fingers. We did a lot to make sure that it was going to be very beautiful. I don't doubt that it's going to be very beautiful. At the same time, until I see something, I can't really be sure of it. Um, but um, so these pictures were always with me. And it was just a question of when uh, I would do it. And now uh, this was the time. I met, uh, right, this, uh, the woman who designed the book, Caitlin Allison. Um, it was, I guess, because she was around that I was able to do it. She was, by around and she was in the picture. She approached me some years back and said she wanted an intern for me. She, she wanted to work with me. Um, and I, we kept in touch. And then I saw her a few other times. And at some point, but I, I was always busy with something. Um, and she lived a few hours away from me and so on. But then I got to see her photographs and she's a good photographer also, a very good spirit in her pictures. Um, and I just felt that, right, I gave her a test. I think that's what I did. I gave her a bunch of pictures and I said, pick out the best ones, what you think are the best ones. And they, they concurred with mine, not 100%, but what she did was right on, let's say. So I then said to her, I want you to help me make this book of Janis Joplin photographs. And Janis Joplin was one of her favorites. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so we did that. And she went through all my, so because she was available and I could trust her to go through, like I have, I don't know what, 40 rolls of film, maybe of Janis, I think 40, is that possible? Yeah. And then a lot of slides, a thousand slides, probably. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe not a thousand, but a few hundreds. And I don't have the head, as we used to say in the 60s, to go through that many contact sheets and little slides and look through everything. Or even if they're on the computer now, even to just like, click away. I have so many things I'm doing now, so many other genres of photography I'm doing. And I've invent invented a new app to do music film. That's can, it, I think it will change the technology. Uh, for, I, I don't know if I will profit personally from that, but it certainly lets me make the films I want to make. And I, I do this other energy work I do, uh, spiritual energy work. Um, so I have a lot of stuff to do. So I, I could never have done it without her is what I'm saying. But she, she went and she went through all the photographs and she picked out the ones she liked. And then I went and I picked out the ones I liked or the ones she liked. And then I said to her, okay, now put this together. And oh, so we had text. So I should talk about the text from David Dalton. He interviewed Janice. He went on the, on the Music Express across Canada with the Grateful Dead, the band, and Janice was on that. And um, at other times too, he traveled with her in different, I don't really know, but it was in, during the last year of her life. And she just talked freely and he recorded it. And so uh, my wife, Linda and Caitlin, uh, uh, went through the, the, the transcriptions, not the whole transcription, but we had, we, David and I were working on doing a film together based on 
on his book. He, oh, his book about Janis Joplin, his biography is called Peace of My Heart. And uh, David Dalton, D-A-L-T-O-N. Um, and all this, all her, these transcriptions are in there. It's really her talking in the book. Um, so um, I got lost here with David. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, so uh, they went through everything that was in our film script and picked out uh, phrases and, or paragraphs or sentences that she said that they thought was meaningful. And then I went through it again with them and picked out the ones that I thought that I particularly liked and so on. And then I gave them to Caitlin and um, she then put them together with pictures. So there's a picture, let's say on a page or a page and a half. And on the, the, the page close to it, the, the facing page, we have a sentence or two or three that Janice said from her own words. And it's, astounding was the word I wanted to use, but that's a hard word to live up to. So I'll say it's really beautiful um, to uh, read the, the words and to see the picture and how well they go together and how well it really expresses who Janice was as a person, how she chose to live her life. Because her life was a choice. She was in charge of it at the end, the beginning of it as a child and so on. It was, she had a hard time. Um, but at the end, she was the boss. Obviously, had a hard time too because she was she was taking heroin. So, um, but she made those choices as an adult, and she chose. When I'm talking about chose to live her life, meaning the way she dressed and the way she talked, and and the freedom that she had, the sexual freedom that she had, um, and the forthrightness that she had. She didn't hold back at all. She was honest with people and straight ahead, uh, like that. So. All that, I believe, comes out in the book, and I feel humbled by being able to do that for her, for her spirit, for the essence, for her soul, let's say, the being that was behind Janice, the, the omnipresent presence of someone. I feel and, that- Well, the, the thing is, is the few, um, I guess, pictures, and there, there maybe is a page or two of the book that, that you've, you've posted on your, your social media platforms, they're perfect summations of her music because there was something about her voice that it emoted incredible power but also vulnerability and it the, the few pieces wow. i've seen from your book it really seems mm. to capture that mm. thank you thank you and it's a beautiful way of describing her voice you know what she did also that's very touching well like i say i try and be a fly on the wall i try not to interfere with what's in front of me and so, so they show that because I'm able, I was able, am able uh, to stay out of the way and just let it be their way, not my way. I, I, never, I never coerce people into smiling when I'm photographing them, for example. I never try and change their mood. However they are, that's how I take the picture. And I let them, and eventually they come around to being, to, to being who they really are, to, to showing their essence. And as we're talking about this, I'm feeling very mellow very, very um, mellow is the word in a spiritual sense. Like I'm suddenly walked into the church of Janus <laughs> and, or the synagogue of Janus or the mosque of Janus. Um, and um, I'm there in, in that space and I'm just respecting it and humbled by it because she was such an extraordinary presence, uh, extraordinary work she's done for, for culture, for, for 
for man, man, man womankind, humankind. Um, so I feel very uh, moved by at this moment getting a feeling of of you know what what the book I believe does for that. For well, uh, uh, this has been terrific. Uh, we've really enjoyed talking with you. Before we go, uh, you have started a Kickstarter uh, campaign for this for this book. Do you want to tell uh, people how they can participate in that? Thank you. Yes, you go to Kickstarter.com. And you and you search for Janis Joplin, and you'll see the, the book, um, the um, photos of of photographs of Janis Joplin on the road and on stage. You can't miss it because the very colorful picture on the cover. There's not a lot on Kickstarter about her. Anyway, this campaign is is uh, on closes on December 21st, so midnight December 21st is the last you can get it. And what, what we're offering is a signed copy of, of the book and uh, which you, you'll receive before it gets released generally. Um, we expect to be able to mail them out January 15th now. Um, so it's a signed copy of the book. It's the first edition of the book. And uh, it's the edition that, that we were able to really control the quality of it. So, and there's not that many printed actually of, of the first edition because um, I don't know why, but there's just not a lot printed. So you'll get a signed copy by me of, of, of the first edition. Also, we're, uh, I'm, I'm giving everyone who contributes a card. It's a five by seven fold out card with a beautiful photograph of Janice and uh, just a thank you note from me about that, uh, you know, about the Kickstarter. And then also offering prints of Janice at like a 40% discount from what I normally charge. I sell fine art prints on my website, elliotlandy.com is my website. Um, and uh, we're offering these, if you, if you um, support the Kickstarter, if you get a book, then as a perk, as an extra, you can, you can get any of a number of prints. They're all on, on there that are 40%, cost 40% less than, uh, than you'd be charged for them on December 22nd, for example, um, and put out a few what I call lithos. They're really, they're really self handmade prints, but they're done on a much thinner paper. And they're done with, with a different kind of ink and so on. So it's not fully archival, but they're certainly as good as anything you buy in any store. Okay, so the lithos I have started are, are $125, and it's just like having a print there, but we're not sure of the exact size I'm going to make it, um, but it's going to be uh, um, at least 11 by 17 and probably a little bit larger than that. And I picked my nicest pictures there. There's one Janice performing at Woodstock, and there's one at the Anderson Theater. The one at Woodstock is in black and white. It's beautiful. It's the opening, it's the opening page of the book. Uh, is this photograph. I'm going to read you what I wrote. Well, I didn't write, but the text that goes with that. So 125 hours, you really get a beautiful photograph. Uh, beautiful. Um, there's five of them we were offering. And then the, the lithographs, the sorry, the fine art prints started about $360. Um, normally they started 600. And then we released three previously unprinted photographs starting at $700 and they'll be limited editions. Um, so these will come and go uh, and it's exclusively the Kickstarter. They haven't been shown to offer any place else right now, nor have the lithographs been shown to offer any place else. So it's a nice thing. In other words, if you like Janis Joplin, it's a nice thing to have. Um, and um, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> 
Well, the way we look at it, every dollar anybody kicks in on your Kickstarter campaign is a dollar towards supporting art. That, that's what you've given people uh, with this book. The, the little bit I've seen of it looks fantastic. He's ElliotLandy.com, at ElliotLandy Twitter, and Elliot Landy Photography on Facebook. Elliot, uh, we appreciate it so much. Let's do it again sometime. This is so nice. Yeah, I can still tell you the, the I can still tell you the natural sky the natural skyline cover story and the band, a big pink story, the full thing. And so so there's more to talk about. It was delightful talking to you both, to you and delightful to your friend in the beginning of it. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm here. I'm uh behind. There you are. Okay, okay. I, I guess you do the same thing I do. You stay in the background, you stay out of it when it's not necessary, which is which is a very honorable thing to do as being a human being. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. And I'd like to let you know that we're happy to promote your Kickstarter on our socials. Speaking of, we'll dive into that. You can support our show, Rock and Roll Heaven LT, at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven LT. If you're looking for these things about Elliot's book, you can find us on Twitter, Rock and Roll LT. Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Facebook page, we love that one, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. I'm still not saying our website. Drop us a line at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And you can check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Thank you, Elliot. A pleasure, really a pleasure for, uh, for this. Thank you. It was enjoyable. Excellent. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.
reach out. I said, baby, I know, no, no. I gotta trust some more. I said, I gotta put my arms around you. I said, I, I said, I got to hold my man. I said, I gotta make you understand. Why, baby? I said, I gotta bring you around. Bring you around to the inside of me. I said, try, try.